following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. The title of this message is Betrayed. We, um, if you're just with us, we're, we're working through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, the, the, the chronology has us now. Jesus, last week we talked about um, being surrendered to or, or submission to the mission of God. And, and uh, Jesus was praying in the garden. And, uh, and in the midst of his prayer, he models exactly what he's commissioning the disciples to do, which is, he says this, pray so that you don't enter into temptation. And that's exactly what he's doing as he's facing the temptation himself. And, uh, and what does he do? He, he models surrender to the Father's will. Um, was Jesus in the center of God's will on the cross? Yes. Can, can pain, can we be in pain? Um, can, can life be tough in the center of God's will? Jesus said that that, that path is narrow and hard. Right? And, uh, and so, but, 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 it, but it's filled with purpose. And, uh, and, and is he working all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? In the midst of these moments that sometimes we don't understand or like. And Jesus here surrenders to a moment that he is, listen, he is fully aware of this. He has authored, you know, he, it's, we're told that before the foundation of the earth, before day one of creation, Christ was crucified. God's not reacting to man's failure. God knew. God knows. And God is, and Jesus is fully aware, as it says for us uh, in another uh, account, he's fully aware of every detail that he's about to experience here. So in order to segue the, uh, the chronology here, uh, Jesus prays three times, asks the disciples to join him in prayer. They fall asleep. He commissions and commands them to please join them, join him in prayer so that they won't enter into temptation. And why that's so critical as we move into this next moment where Judas shows up with a great crowd with clubs and swords and lanterns uh, looking for a fight, expecting one, is... The, the very thing that Jesus has been telling them to do is to pray so they won't enter into temptation. Temptation to what? To run, to hide, to fight, right? Um, to fear. And uh, rather than to trust God and rest in him in the midst of the chaos. And so I read this uh, passage from Matthew ch- tw- chapter 26, 45 and 46 as a way of segueing to our passage for this morning In Matthew, it says this in verse 45, Then he came to the disciples and said to them, after he was uh, set apart in prayer, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Our passage this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. We pick up in verse 47. And now we're in the scene where Judas is coming with this crowd. And and it's all ordained um, by the authority of the Sanhedrin. The the priests, some of them are even in attendance, right? And it's referred to as a great crowd. And they're coming with clubs and swords. And they're seeking to arrest Jesus. And, uh, And Jesus is not surprised by this moment. Verse 47 to 53 starts this way. While he was still speaking, he being Jesus, there came a crowd 
and the man called Judas. You know, I'm going to pause here just to unpack some of this as we kind of go through it. Um, you don't hear a lot of kids being named Judas these days. Kind of curious. No, that's probably obvious. But, you know, where does this name, what does Judas mean? Well, the root of Judas is Judah, right? And do you know what Judah means? It means praise, right? It means praise. So this is such a contrast to what is, you know, to, 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 to what his name is meant to be. And if he is the symbol of Judah, the, the tribe of Judah, he's doing what Judah has done, what the nation of Israel has done with God for centuries. And so just a little background there on Judah or Judas' name. One of, and, and what's interesting is that he's one of the 12, it says here, one of the 12 was leading them to Jesus, to an intimate place where they would gather. And, uh, and he's the one that's, that's directing the crowd to Jesus' arrest and demise. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. You know, this is probably one of the most, like, contradictory moments. You know, Jesus' response to this is, is obviously a, a, one of a broken heart. But one, one, the thing that's interesting is, or it, I think is important, is we understand that this was customary when a, when a student would meet a rabbi after any po po uh, portion of time, that that was customary that they would greet him with a kiss. But... For me, it brings me back to this moment, um, if you remember in uh, Proverbs 27, 6. And it says, a, a, a wound of a friend versus the kiss of an enemy, right? What, and really, it's talking about what the intention is. This is what Solomon's talking about in Proverbs 27, 6, if you're looking for that reference. And, and what's going on here is Judas is identifying Jesus by a kiss. What a contradiction, right? What, what, what should be, what is, what, is the, um, what is the ideal expression in a kiss? Love, affection, right? And here it's deception, right? And betrayal. So it says he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And he does, we see in another passage. But Jesus said to him, this is one of two statements that Jesus makes. He see, calls him by name, he says, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And I think it's interesting, don't, don't miss the details and nuances because they're just filled with, he, he doesn't say, would you betray me with a kiss? He says, the Son of Man. And for Jewish ears, this would, this would, bring them back to Daniel. And what are you saying? Would you, would you betray your Messiah, the King of Kings, the forever King of the kingdom that is to come with a kiss? So the statement is far bigger than, than ju it just being between Judas and Jesus. In verse 49, it says, and when those who were around him saw what would follow, right? So now those around him here is the disciples. They're, they're, they're I mean, Guys, this is a crowd walking up with swords and clubs, right? So, you know, they're looking for a fight and they're basic, that's, that's what they're seeing here. That's what the disciples are seeing. And when they saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now, I think it's interesting before we head into verse 50 here. 
I think it's interesting, like they're going, because Jesus has told them that, that things are going to get, um, it's, it's going to be a battle going forward. But it's, it's so important, you know, what Jesus wants them to know is that you need to know who your enemy is and who your enemy isn't. And you need to know what weapon to fight with and what weapons to fight, to not fight with. And, uh, and so it's interesting because when you look at verse 50, before Jesus could even give an answer to their question, Peter jumps, right? And this is not unusual for Peter. Peter is one that, that is pretty spontaneous in his actions. He's not waiting for, for Jesus' answer to the question. He just moves. Now, many would speculate like, oh, I've been told I'm going to deny him and I'm going to prove that I'm not. I'm, I'm in for the fight. And, and we see the disposition of Peter here. Like, and I, I don't miss that you might find yourself in his disposition. That when conflict's coming at me, they're going to get some. Right? That, that this, is, this is our human tendency. The flesh wants to defend and, and fight, fight fire with fire. And what, what we see in Jesus' words and response that this is not God's way. This is not God's will. This is not how, how Christ responds. And, uh, and there's so much to glean from this moment. But, but Peter's not waiting for an answer, right? And I love that Luke is so sweet. He, he doesn't even throw Peter under the bus here. He says this, And when one of them struck the servant of the high priest, anybody know what the servant of the high priest's name was? Malchus, right? So he, he's known by name. In the annals of history, he, he has this experience that we get to be a part of, and it's so it's so counter to the moment how Jesus responds here struck the servant of the high priest and this is Peter now cut off his right ear but Jesus said no more of this and I love John said this in in study this morning and I thought man that's really such a good insight a practical expression in this moment do you know Jesus didn't want this response this, this wasn't what he was looking for. This isn't what his students should be following him in. He said, stop, right? No more of this. No more of this. Now, I want, I want you for a moment just to think like, are there moments where you're, 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 you're beckoned to a, a, a posture of, of revenge, retaliation? Um, you know, something's coming at you and and and. Man, what, when, isn't it ideal for us to hear that still small voice that would say, stop. No, no, this is not the response that I want. I don't, I don't want you to, 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 to react here in, in anger, you know, or, or in retaliation or, or, or fight. I want you to love. I want you to show mercy. I want you to show kindness. I want you, you know, the very one that was coming to hurt him, we see here in another text, he's healing. He's healing. Now, take in Jesus' example to us here because it is so, it's so contrasting. And what if we, what if we, I know that there are, obviously for Jesus, there are consequences for having this approach. But what if we as a world and as a church responded in love when there was chaos and conflict? What if, we, what if we yielded to God's will and God's word, knowing that it's a double-edged sword and it has the power to, 
to, to divide right down to the thoughts and intentions of hearts and bring people to... Do, do you think it's more impactful when someone, rather than reacts with the same force and response that they're receiving, that they, they respond in love, in patience, in care? And Jesus says... This is not what it's all about. And it's interesting in the Greek here, no more of this is said with, with, with incredible tenacity. We see an explanation point in the text in order to highlight that Jesus says, stop this. And he touches his ear, Malchus's ear, and healed him. Now, just for a moment here, just imagine how chaotic this moment is. Right? Like they're walking in. These guys are rushing in. It's a crowd. They've got clubs and spears and, and, and torches. And they're, they're coming to arrest Jesus. And they're expecting a fight. They don't know what they're going to expect. They know that Jesus has done some pretty powerful and miraculous things. Lazarus has been raised from the dead just over a week earlier. And so later on, we'll see in a text that, that when he announces himself or reveals himself and actually surrenders himself to them, it says they all fall back. Right? They, they drop back in fear. Right? So they're, they're expecting a fight here. And that's kind of... Have you, ever, have you ever gone into a fight? Have you ever uh, or gone into something where you expect that there's going to be conflict? You know, it, it causes chaos in our hearts. You can, can you imagine the tension that's in the garden at this moment? But I want you to imagine for a moment that in the midst of all of that... I mean, and it escalates, right? Peter cuts off this guy's ear right and and jesus says stop we get a sense of the text that he stops and heals this this part of the 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 crowd that's coming to arrest him can you can you imagine how how that would have been reacted to like he heals him in the, like everything stops, all of this chaos stops and Jesus picks up an ear and, and heals him right in front of them. I mean, that, that had to be just such a contrary moment to what everyone was expecting. And so he says he heals him, verse 51, but Jesus said no more of this and he touched his ear and healed him. Verse 52. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers in the temple uh, and the temple of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, right? They're at odds with him. And Jesus is here to rescue them, to save them, to heal them. Have you come out again, uh, as against a robber? Now, who's the robber? Who's the one that wants to steal, kill, and destroy? Right? Like, he's saying, like, I'm not your enemy. Right? I, I, are you coming out against me? I, it, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not fighting you. I'm, I'm your advocate. I'm your mediator. I'm your savior. And so, so often, like, it, you know, um, I was talking to someone recently just about Jesus. And I was describing who Jesus is to me. And it was like, like, it was so contrary to their perception of who they thought Jesus was, right? Like, he's not a robber, right? He, Jesus even has parables where he talks about, I'll tell you who the robber is, but I, it's not me. I'm, I'm the one that's coming to rescue and ransom you back. 
But it says, have you come out against me as, as a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Right? Jesus knew this was, this was by design in order to be the one that would rescue. This, this was all a part of God's prophesied plan in order to, to powerfully save and rescue and sa- the world. So, but one of the things that I, I, I mean, as I stood back from this in my preparation, it was just like, okay, Lord, help me take this in. You know, one of the things that just comes to me right away is like, God was arrested? Like, I don't know if you ever thought, like, God allowed himself. You know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, and, and we're talking about Jesus, right? Like, like God was arrested. I mean, just think about that. Like, and, and he says in the context of this, he says, look, look, we don't need to fight here. If I wanted to, if I wanted to fight here, it would be over because I'd call down, he says, 12 legions. A legion is 6,000 soldiers, right? It's interesting he says 12 because there was 12 of them, 11 apostles or disciples and himself. Um, but 72,000 angels could show up right now. But, 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 but I've been given this cup for a purpose, and, and I'm going to drink it. And, uh, and it's interesting. But God was arrested. Why? To demonstrate love and to reveal grace. As I thought about that, like, he, he sh- and he was modeling for us, for us like, God's pl- like God's ideal in these moments. Like that we don't, our battle's not against flesh and blood. We're not to race. We, we don't give in to our flesh and to the conflict of the moment. And then I thought through some some, you know, like God was arrested. Well, let's think about that. Love was arrested so that we might be healed. Righteousness was arrested so we might be justified. Truth was arrested so that we might be liberated because that's what truth does. Peace, the Prince of Peace was arrested so that we might be reconciled. The Lamb was arrested that we might be delivered. Ultimately, death was arrested so that we might live. And when we think about this, Jesus was arrested so that we could be set free. Right? Like that's, that's why he surrendered to this moment. He wasn't, th- th- this wasn't the end. This was the, the catalyst to his mission, which was to set us free, to ransom, to reconcile us. To, and, and so he gave himself so that we could be liberated and set free. Well, I want to rewind in this betrayal uh, back to its conception, and so um, I won't. I won't comment. I won't. I won't do much commentating on the, on the the, just the chronology here, because I want to get to the end to to really unpack like what the scripture says about our response to Jesus's example here. But as we rewind to the betrayals, con- to the conception of this, in Luke chapter 22, verses 3 through 6, it says this. Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was, the, who, was, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. 
In Matthew chapter 26, we get some more detail here. In verse 14 to 16, it says, Then one of the twelve, whose whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, Now now listen to what he says here. What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? Remember, Satan had entered him. So here's a a factor that we, we understand, which is greed. Right. And uh, and we know it's 30 pieces of silver and we'll get to that in a minute. That's interesting in and of itself. And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. You know, if we go back into the Old Testament, 30 pieces of silver is what was paid for the death of a servant. Right. It's the price. It's the value that was given to a slave. Right. That was gouged by an animal. And so. You know, part of the, the sadness of this moment is this is this is the, the, the this is the value that they placed on Jesus when uh, for the exchange of his arrest and betrayal. Verse sixteen, and from that moment on, he Judas sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, as you step back from this moment really quickly, you know this can seem, as Jesus said, this is the the hour of darkness, um, but. As you step back, it it just seems, and I'm sure we've all been in these moments where everything just seems dark. Every, you know, how, how can God be good here? How can this, how could this possibly be your will in this moment, right? And, but don't we know that God works all things together for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Isn't this one of those moments that because we know the end of the story, that we, we can see how God can even take this moment. And understand this. We're told in the scriptures that Judas was chosen for this purpose, not that God made him do this. He is totally culpable for what he chose to do, but God knew in his foreknowledge he would. And he's, he's a part of this grand plan to rescue the world. And so God even uses this moment for, for the rescue of humanity. And, uh, but let's not for a second not believe that this was painful, as we'll see in a moment, to, to Jesus' heart, to the heart of God. So as we fast forward from that moment, we come to the Last Supper. And again, just looking at the chronology here of this betrayal, in verse 13 of, of, of the Gospel of John, starting in verse 21, it says this, And after these things... Jesus, here it is, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. This troubled him in his spirit. Man, Jesus faced all of this, right, so that he could be our advocate, so we could never say, you don't understand what I'm going through. He knows. The disciples, verse 22, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of who he, who he spoke. Um, so they didn't know. They didn't, even, they didn't even know it was Judas at this moment. So one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, and this is just one of the ways that John always refers to himself in the text. So this is John here, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And I, I understand that by saying he knew that he was loved by the Lord was reclining at table at, his, at Jesus' side because that's where John often was. So Simon Peter motioned to him and asked, asked Jesus of whom he was speaking. So the disciple leaning back against Jesus, so in a private moment, said to the Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, 
It is he who, to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I, when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. And the son of Simon Iscariot, which we understand was obviously Judas Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. This is the second time we hear that. Right, that Satan has this agenda and he's looking for an instrument and a catalyst to accomplish his purpose. And when we share his agenda, now we're susceptible to these, not us as saints, because we're sealed with the Holy, praise God, right? Um, but Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. And, and many of us believe that, that he's actually talking to the enemy here, right? What, what you are up to here, do quickly. But as the, you know, Judas must have thought, man, and this wouldn't have been new information, like, he knows what I'm up to. And yet there's, there's no change of course, sadly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that Judas had the money bag, um, some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, uh, buy what we need for the feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which follows Passover, or that he would give some, should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, immediately he went out and it was night. So let's go back to the garden now. And let's look from the account of, and, and my heart is that we would always hear more scripture than anything else on Sunday mornings. But in the garden, we have an account from one that was there, Matthew. And verses 47 to 46, it says this. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great cloud, crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders and from the people. So in other words, they're coming with authority. Um, it was mentioned this morning, I think it was Amir that showed this. It's like, if you can imagine, like a wanted poster, right, with 30 pieces of silver on the bottom. So like people are feeling like this is, this is approved. Like he, he's obviously, I mean, all the, all the leaders have said this, this, that, that he's, he, he's, he's not who we're hoping or what he declares to be. Verse 48, now the betrayer had given them a sign, speaking of Judas, saying, the one I will kiss is the man, sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi, or greetings, Rabbi, and he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Now, when I researched this, this piece here on friend, here's what we have to understand. Jesus is, is always sincere and truthful. Like he loved, he loved Judas. Like he called him friend. He wasn't saying that in some pretense. That's just not in his vocabulary. It's never in his intention. He is calling Judas friend as he is betraying him. So like we have to ask ourselves in this moment, and this is really what captured me in this text and challenges me greatly, is that in the midst of being betrayed, Jesus is absolutely loving on this man. He is saying, he's saying to him like, like it breaks my heart. Like that's what he's saying. You're going you're gonna to kiss me as a form of betrayal? He is, like, because what, what would be our tendency and our nature and our sinful flesh? Like, what would we do? We would be like, we would be, so, we would be hating on him big time. And we would be so, like, hurt people, hurt people. We would want to hurt. And Jesus, 
Jesus continues to reinforce the friendship here. Uh, that, is, that is so incredibly sweet. So as we uh, move on from there, it says, Friend, do what you have come to do. Then he came up and laid hands on Jesus. They laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and speaking of Peter, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your swords back in its place. Don't miss this. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. He is, he is calling them to, to not respond in conflict in like manner. Don't fight fire with fire. And then he's modeling a different approach here altogether. Verse 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? He's trusting the father. He's submitting to the mission. At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all of this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples, don't miss this, all the disciples left him and fled. All of them left. You know, I, I do believe that, that this is why Jesus beckoned them intensely especially James John and the sons of thunder and Peter to come you know to pray that you don't enter into temptation to fight to flee to doubt to operate in fear or anger because we know that man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires our battle is not against flesh and blood Paul reminds us of that like so often like this can even happen in our own, our own homes, much less in our workplaces. Can I, just, can I just say this this morning? Like, n another person is never your enemy. They're a person that Jesus sought and died for. Like, they're not. They're not your enemy, no matter if their political views or their team is different from your team or whatever the, 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 the situation is. God wants us to, and Jesus models that we would walk in love, that we would be mercy givers, and that we would be grace-filled, no matter what their agenda is. Like, you can't have a more con contrasting moment here that Jesus is being such a great example to us. Anybody been betrayed like this? I've walked through a couple of moments but nothing is severe. And, he, and here Jesus calls Judas friend and he heals in the midst of all of this. Don't fight the wrong enemy with the wrong weapon. And if you're going to take something away today, that's, that's what I want you to remember. Don't fight the wrong enemy with the wrong weapon. Do you know that we're equipped by the Spirit to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We're told, like, let's go back just for a moment to another example that Jesus has in, in Luke chapter 4 and also, also Matthew chapter 4 when he's fighting the enemy in the, in the desert who's seeking to, to accomplish his purpose there. How does he fight? 
It is written. It is written. It is written. Right? Depart from me. Resist the devil and he will flee. Like we, he, he fights with the sword of the spirit because it is a spiritual battle that is going on in these moments and we have to trust that God's word is powerful and effective, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to cut to, to, to the thoughts and intentions of the heart with the, with the, with the moment, with the, with the, do you know that God wants to rescue that person that is betraying you or hurting you? or in conflict with you. And maybe you have a part in that, but we're called to be mercy givers and lovers and, and peacemakers. And, and let me just say that that is a supernatural response that requires you trusting and asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. But let the word of God be the driving force in the midst of conflict and, and painful moments like this. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 says. For... Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, he's talking to the church, are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, I'm going to ask you again, write this down. Later on, go and read verses 5 and 6. Because what it says is, it's talking about the word of God. And how it, the hope is by allowing that to be your, your weapon of choice. To, and we don't use it. We use it with, with loving intention. We're not, we're not trying to cut people with it, right? But, but we let the Spirit of God move in that, that they might come to repentance. Do you think it's convicting when someone is mean to you that you respond in love and generosity? Do you think that, that that might have a greater impact in that moment rather than responding in kind? Who and how are you usually, excuse me, who and how do you usually fight? Who and how do you usually fight? Because if we're just giving in to our, and I see it all the time, I, I feel it in my own nature, like that we are, we're, we're fighting like in the flesh rather than trusting that God's word is truly the sword of the spirit that will bring about change in their heart and allowing love. And, and I love what John said in the class because that's exactly, I love what Jesus does as an example. He says to Peter as he's moving, he's not thinking, right? Peter's not thinking. The other disciples asked, you know, should we, should we, should we fight? And Peter didn't even wait for an answer. Boom, he's in it, right? And sometimes that's what we do. We just give in to our flesh. We give in to our nature and we just, we just react in our feelings and in our anger. And I love what Jesus says there. He says, stop, stop, put away the sword. Would, would that make any difference in our world? Would that make any difference in our marriages and our relationships if we responded in, in love and healing and kindness when, when, we're, when we're harmed and hurt, can that happen in marriage? Hello, anybody? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it can happen in any relationship. We're all prone to, to moments of tiredness and fatigue and, and all of that. But, but man, when, you know, I, I love this. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Right? A gentle answer this is what Proverbs, one of the, the wonderful teachings 
of Proverbs. Here we, here we have it in, uh, in Hebrews 4.12. Obviously, this comes to mind when we think about this subject. And it says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Can I ask you this morning, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you live like that's the truth? Like that's the, the, that's the, that's, it's his spirit. I mean, it's his sword. It's the sword of the spirit. But can, can we operate in his word knowing that that's what wins the battle? And the truth is the battle's already won. We just need to walk in the victory of the word of God being the, the force of truth having this type of uh, impact. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, getting right down in joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right? Like, and, and the challenge here in a practical way is that it's not just something we know, it's we're living God's word out so it will have this penetrating impact on those that are walking in, in, in conflict, maybe even with us. Who and how do you usually fight? Do you declare war or peace in the midst of conflict? I'll say that again. Do you declare war or peace in the midst of conflict? I think that's so important. I think it's so important that in the midst, like Jesus challenged them to pray so they wouldn't enter into temptation. They failed to pray and they entered into temptation. Okay? So living a life of prayer prepares us for these moments of conflict. But having the mentality that that we're not going to declare war, but we're going to declare peace. When these, not if, but when these moments arrive. Who are you trusting for the victory? Right? These are the questions we have to ask. Because sometimes what we're doing is, we're t- I'm going to get this done. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of business here. Like this is, what, this is what our nature wants. And we've got to be men and women that grow up into maturity that, that doesn't, doesn't react in our flesh and feelings. But that we let the word of God like be, and, and what that requires, like John said, like what that requires is stop. You ever, you ever feel overwhelmed by your feelings, wanting to move in them, right? Sometimes we need to step back, get, get on our knees and ask God, how do you want me to respond here? And, and when, because I know many of you are saying this in your head right now, sometimes we don't have that much time, Colin, you know, like <laughs> it's on us. And that's what's going on in this moment. That's why Jesus told them, Pray that you don't enter into temptation. Now, you realize like we got to have hearts that are prepared for conflict because that's what we're in, right? We're in a battle every single day. And, and that's what Jesus, that's why we've been given armor. That's why we're told do not, do not get caught up in civilian affairs, right? We, we've got to, but, but to stay in the fight, we have to understand that, man, our battle's not against flesh and blood. They're actually, they're, they're the objects of our love. Don't forget who the enemy really is. Peter was hurting and Jesus was healing. Right? Who, who you, whose example are you going to follow? We don't fight with fire. We don't fight fire with fire, but 
we fight hate with love. And I, I, I've seen it win. I've seen it win in my home. I've seen it, I've seen it win in, in countless moments where someone just, just believes that God's spirit is powerful enough and God's word is effective enough to see this and it brings about so much change. Paul had a lot of experience with conflict, would you say? If you want to take a peek at it, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He gives us a list, right? He, everywhere he went in walking in God's will to, to share the gospel, he faced conflict. Um, he had this to say to Timothy. He said, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, everyone. Able to teach, and then I love this, patiently enduring evil. That's relevant this morning. Patiently enduring evil. I'm so challenged. Verse 25. Correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. God may perhaps grant them, he's talking about the opponents, repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Guys, that, that's not a problem in your life. That's an opportunity based on what he's saying. How we respond to conflict can be our greatest witness. And it can actually be a catalyst to their salvation is what we're being told. We're, 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 we're supposed to show kindness and love and gentleness with our opponents. Patiently enduring evil. We have one more perspective and it's John's account as we wrap up, this is John's account of the garden scene. And listen to what John says here because we get some, some beautiful detail. Starting in verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden, which we talked about last week, last week, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some of the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, here it is, like this, this is knowing all that would happen to him. Like everything that this arrest would, would, would bring about for him, he, he knew all of that and yet surrenders to the Father's will because he knew what it meant for you and I, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? Now, he walks into this moment of conflict as a peacemaker, right? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said, now keep in mind, John's probably really close to Jesus because that's, that's what he does. He's right there. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus, like he is going, I'm right here, let's do this. Like, I mean, he's surrendering to this moment, you know, wanting to, to liberate those, his disciples. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. Like, how, how sweet is that? Like, even right now, he's seeking to rescue them by his own surrender, 
right? A picture of, of the entire cross and what, what, God, what, what Christ did for us. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken, that, that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, Father, in, the, in his prayer, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck it. You know, just, just a funny moment here. All the other accounts left Peter's name out. John <laughs> throws him out. You know, it's like this competitive spirit that you see between them all the time. It's like, and then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's uh, servant and cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that my father has given to me? Thoughts. He healed the one who came to kill him. He calls us to bless those who curse you, to love and pray for your enemy, to turn the other cheek. Anybody struggle with this? Okay, thank you. Thank you. I see that. And see, you see both of mine. Like, I mean, you, you, you know that, uh, that, that, that we have a nature that has a contrasting kind of approach to this moment. But this is, this is so sweet. As we, this is so sweet. So one of the benefits we have in the New Testament is, you know, Peter later on after he receives the Holy Spirit and then, you know, grows up in the Lord and in, in a mature posture, has hindsight of all these walk through. Is hindsight beneficial? Like, do we, do we hopefully learn from our experiences? Peter then pens this, this letter. And in, in the first letter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he, he kind of shares this. And I got to believe that this was in his mind. But this is what he says, and, and this is powerful. Let, let this sink in. For this is a gracious, and I'm picking up in chapter 2, verse 19 to 25. Encourage you to read the whole thing, but, but this is what it says. For this is a gracious thing, a gracious thing, when mindful of God, when mindful of God, don't miss that part, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Did Jesus do that? Right? Listen to what it says. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? No, there's no credit there. There's no benefit. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, it says this. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When what? When we suffer unjustly and don't return anger, frustration, or conflict right? For, for to this you have been called. Like, that's a part of our fellowship in Christ. He, he set an example for us. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example so that you might follow in his steps. Because that's what disciples do. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Now listen to what this says. When he was reviled, and he was, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And think about like his innocence and who he was and is. Like, and he permitted this knowing it would be the example that we needed to know in order to live the life that he wants us to. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But here it is. But continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly, his father. 
Can we trust God in the moments of conflict when we're being treated unjustly? Can we trust God? Can we believe in those moments that he's doing greater things and, and much better things than if we react in, in, in like manner? And, and we can follow Jesus and his perfect example. And is that challenging? You know, one of the things that uh, Sheba and I have really kind of backed off on a lot of media because it's so contrary to, to, to God's word, right? Because you look at the plot line in a lot of movies that we often celebrate, and, and the plot line is vengeance. And, and, and when they get it, you're like, yeah, they got what's coming to them, you know. <laughs> you know, like we're all, we're all pumped up about it. And, and that's, boy, what, if, what if we got what was coming to us? What if we got what we deserved? Like, and we're supposed to be like Jesus to the world. Like, we've got to show them a supernatural response to, the, and, and we've got to be willing to take the punch and not react like the world reacts. That's, there's nothing uncommon about that. That's, that's expected. But when, but when we turn the other cheek, and that's not going, okay, now hit me here. That's not what it's saying. It's saying, it's saying I'm, I'm turning from that. I'm not responding back in the way that you've responded to me. I love that. But he continued. Isn't that a key word there? Continued entrusting. Continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Can we put all of that in God's hands and trust him? And continue, you know, one of the things that I, if you've not seen War Room, um, and I know many of you have, one of the things I love about the Pris Priscilla Schreier character is she knows what her husband's doing and might, might have done, and yet she is loving and serving. And, and when he comes to understand that she knew and she continued to stay in that posture, that's what wrecks him. And that's what 2 Corinthians was telling us. That, guys, do we want to see change in our world? I want to see change in the world. I hear it all the time. Do you want to see change? Like, do, do we need to change the course of, of human conflict and all that's going on? And, and that happens as the church takes on Christ's example and loves in the face of conflict and doesn't react the way others react. And we get out and look, we're also told in this world, you will have troubles. Take heart, I've overcome it. But we're also told they hated me, they'll hate you too. Like, don't be surprised by the fiery trials as if something strange was happening to you. Like, but these are the, you, do you know that's where we grow? That's, that's what, you know who benefits from, from that moment when we, when we trust God and, and we take the punch? Do you know that we grow in those moments? And, and God gets glorified. It says, I, I mean, in this first Peter passage, it says, for to this you have been called. No, I don't know, right before that. But if when you, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God? Like, I'm, I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And this is what verse 24 and 25 have to say. He himself, this is, he, what Peter is saying is he set this example for us so that we could follow him in it. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. Did he deserve that? 
Right? Like, I, I don't know if you've ever said this to yourself. Like, I don't deserve this. Right? Like, like I, I'm not wrong. Was he ever wrong? Right? He was so righteous. He was righteousness himself. Like, he, he didn't deserve any of this and faced all of it so that we'd be, we'd be rescued. And that, that was not just a, a, a map to salvation for us. It was an example to us and how he wants us to live in, re, in relationship to others as he seeks to save them. Is that hard? Is that hard? Is it just me? Is it, that's, I would almost say it's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, but, but we, haven't we been given a different way haven't we been called to a, to a contradictory response to the way that natural man moves? And is this practical? <laughs> but I love verse 24, and it says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might, we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, by his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your soul. Guys, I, I, I'm just going to say, I, I want us to stand. If you would, just for a moment, just stand. We're, we're going um, we're gonna, to we're gonna sing as we ponder and, and really consider like the implications of this. But the, the challenge for us is this, that that we would live what we are truly, that what truly what Jesus modeled for us. And, and I'll say it this way. Are you going to pretend to be a follower of Christ like Judas? Fight like Peter? Or surrender to our Father's perfect will like our Lord Jesus Christ? Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.